land occupation in port port more Halibu HR tension. One court case ends and another ramps up. This is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land and water. This is episode 242, brought to you with listener support. Become a patron at patreon.com slash Mi'kmaq Matters. I'm Glenn Wheeler here with Mi'kmaq Matters correspondent Greg Janes. And Greg, you were just back from the Port of Port Peninsula. Uh, we're talking on Sunday and uh, Sunday, uh, January 29th. Uh, land application out there going into the second week. So um, uh, we're looking forward to hearing about that. Underreported, I think. We heard, uh, we saw one report on CBC, but uh, for uh, an occupation that shut down the World Energy GS2 project for going on two weeks now, uh, I would have thought there would be more press. So we're we're looking forward to hearing uh, from you about that. And you're just back from St. John's uh, at the from the Friends of Alabu court case. So you put a lot of clicks on that Indian truck there, uh, going from one side to the other. Yes, Glenn, absolutely. Uh, good to be here with you and your listeners once again. Um, yeah, I'm just back from St. John's after uh, taking in a week's proceedings down there. And I thought it was uh, went extremely well. Uh, the uh, Friends of Halibu um, uh, presented a very compelling case uh, with a lot of evidence and uh, testimony entered into uh, evidence as well. Great. So we're looking forward to hearing about that later in the program. But first, we go deep inside Halibu headquarters, where there is more HR tension. Following the surprise departure, temporary or otherwise, we're not sure yet, of Dean Simon. And Greg, uh, you uh, you know Greg Simon, and many listeners will know Dean uh, from uh, Flat Bay. And Dean's story is that on his own dime, he left for Nova Scotia and learned the Mi'kmaq language in uh, living in Eskasoni. And for the last uh, 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 while has been offering classes to Halibu members. But earlier this month, the classes offered by Dean abruptly came to an end. And now Michael Denny of Nova Scotia will be doing them. And for Dean, well, we're not sure. His departure may be connected to some issues in the Department of Culture, Tourism, and Community Development at Halibu, where in this department, there have been a number of departures recently, at least four, we're told, and questions about whether people with the most knowledge and qualifications get hired. The director, S. Kelly Kirpan, we reached out to her for a comment, but she referred us to Andrew Simmons, who is the director of finance and the acting band manager, while Halibu looks for its fourth band manager in the seven years that Brendan Mitchell has been chief. So what we asked uh, Andrew Simmons was, what is the process for hiring decisions in culture, tourism, and community development? Specifically, who makes the hiring decisions? Are there checks to identify conflicts of interest? 
And has Andrew Simmons or Halibu received any concerns from Halibu members about hiring or other issues in the department? And are they being investigated? Those were our questions, but no answer. And it is concerning because uh, what we hear, we've heard from multiple people as much of the poor morale among staff at Halibu is that there's a lack of fairness in hiring and promotion. The policy seems to be, it's not what you know, it's who you know uh, that gets you ahead at Halibu. So one of the many things that uh, has to change at Halibu First Nation. But Greg, uh, back to you. Um, uh, and uh, and port to port. So uh, we know, of course, that uh, World Energy GH2 wants to build 164 wind turbines on the Port to Port Peninsula, and they're just on the first turbine, kind of a test tower, and already there are problems, and people have shut down this um, this uh, World Energy GH2 operation. So tell us. Uh, Give us an overview of what's, of what's happening on the Port of Port Peninsula. Yeah, Glenna, so I traveled up the Saturday, yesterday, and met with some uh, uh, protesters up there in Piccadilly. They're, they have a camp, and I spoke to them up there. Their concerns are uh, that their water quality within the watershed is being contaminated. And um, so from there, I moved on to mainland, where the uh, protests has been going now for I believe 11 days now or two weeks. And and they they are very concerned about the quality of their water. They showed me the water. Um, it's not drinkable. And what what World GH2 has done um, to to their water and watershed, um, they're they're very concerned and upset. And uh, so they asked for the proper permits and things like that. Um, no one is uh, able to uh, give them their their answers, and they're feeling very, very frustrated up there. Hmm. So basically, what's what's uh, gone on, uh, as I understand it, is that they've uh, World Energy GH two has built this road. They've taken uh, what's basically uh, a, a track uh, big enough for an ATV to get by, and they've have widened that, and a lot of um, a lot of uh, silt and mud soil has got into the water so uh you run the water now and it comes out brown so i don't think anyone would want to be would want to be drinking that uh, that water no exactly glenn and uh, not just concerned about the uh, quality of the water but uh, concerned about the uh, fish and wildlife that are drinking this water as well uh the sediment is getting into the ocean and they have concerns and they have heard very little from uh, officials uh, from like DFO or, or people like that. So um, again, that, that they're feeling uh, very frustrated that no one's been uh, visiting them and providing them with answers. So Greg, you did some interviews and, um, and we're going to uh, include them in this uh, episode uh, to hear um, what people um, have to say. My name is Shelley Jesso. We are in Piccadilly, and it's on the Port of Port Peninsula, about a half an hour outside of Stephenville. Uh, can you tell me why you're holding your protest? Well, we're holding it for a variety of reasons, but the main reason is uh, we do not want this turbine project uh, proposed by GH2 to be uh, put here on the Port of Port Peninsula. And how long have you been here now? 
the Piccadilly site, this is day five. And the protests in mainland, this is day 12 for them. How long do you think you'll be out here? We will hold this protest as long as it takes. What's your sit up here? Um, how, does it, is it manned 24 7? Um, yes. Uh, we have um, a bunch of protesters here and in mainland uh, who uh, we basically take shifts and we have protesters round the clock 24 7. Okay, and have you heard from uh, World uh, Energy GH2? World Energy hasn't contacted the people here in Piccadilly. Uh, John Hogan, uh, one of the reps for GH2, did show up in mainland a few days ago. Um, had little to say and didn't offer a resolution and then left again. Okay, and so what are you hearing from your provincial MHA? Um, well, our government and our MHA have pretty much been absent. Mr. Wakeham attended one meeting in the fall with us and uh, promised to help us. And then he's been silent. As of a couple of days ago, he did meet with Mainland. And again, we haven't gotten much representation from our MHA. It's very disappointing because I voted for him. So with a large population of indigenous people here on the Porter Port, have you heard from your local bands such as Halibu or Benoit First Nation? Um, <laughs> this is why I, I know people can't see it, but I have here on my sign where our indigenous leaders. Uh, sadly, our indigenous leaders, uh, Jason Benoit for Benoit First Nation, and uh, our ward councillor as well, and Brendan Mitchell, have. Uh, they're for this project, and they, uh, Jason Benoit has written quite a few letters to the government and to the company supporting this project, even though his members are against it. So okay. basically, you know, our indigenous leaders who promote uh, taking care of Mother Earth and, you know, protecting it when, it, when they're held to task, they are nowhere to be seen. So have you had any uh, national coverage or provincial coverage uh, for that fact? Um, we've had a little bit, but um, sadly it isn't getting the story out there. Um, it gives little bits of information, but it doesn't tell about the people who are against the project out here. It basically, they uh, downplay the numbers of people who are against it. They make it seem like it's only five or six people on the peninsula who are against this project and everybody else is for it. So the coverage has been very slim, but we are getting the word out there, regardless. What's your end goal here? We will be here as long as it takes. Uh, we are very determined. Andrew Parsons, a while back, said that this project would not go ahead on the Port of Port Peninsula without a social license. Well, there is no social license for the Port of Port Peninsula. We do not want this project here. Uh, we are not against progress. But this is a massive project that is too big for such a peninsula. We pride ourselves on tourism. We provide ourselves on living off the land. And if this project comes here, it will destroy all of that. So there is no social license here. And our end goal is this, for this project to not happen on the Port of Port Peninsula, for the government leaders and our representatives to sit down and decide on a location where this project can go ahead.
but it's not the peninsula. You're getting a lot of honks here. Yes. So are, are you getting a lot of support from the people on the port port Peninsula? Most definitely. Uh, we did a survey a while back, uh, a very legitimate survey, and uh, over 84% of the population were against this project. Uh, to my knowledge right now, that support uh, for us, or against the project rather, has climbed to almost 90%. Why has it climbed? Well, for people who were on the fence about this project, when they saw what had happened to mainland, uh, just to put up a Met Tower, um, with their water supply being destroyed, uh, a lot of people realized that, you know what, this is not a good project for the area. In Piccadilly, again, their water is being threatened now, and um, they made a road just across the street here and they basically went in and slaughtered half a forest. And now all the animals are coming out onto the road. Um, my friend who lives up the street, his backyard now has animals in there all the time because these animals have been displaced. They don't have any home anymore. And this is just a, a very small glimpse of what's going to come. So what do you think is going to happen? It's going on two weeks now. Uh, they say they're going to stay. Um, and uh, meanwhile, World Energy GH2 says, uh, you know, it's costing them money and, um, you know, everything is tied up. So we have a bit of a standoff uh, there. And uh, how do we think things are, are going to go down? I, I think that they're determined to stay there until they get their, uh, they're satisfied with the answers. Um they get from uh, government officials and uh, World GH2. So uh, they're pretty entrenched in, in, uh, in getting the results that they need. So this may escalate. Right. Well, we'll be certainly following that. Um, so, Greg, uh, the other uh, story you've been uh, covering uh, the past uh, week or so has been the Friends of Alibo court case in St. John's, which uh, concludes this coming week. Um, and... Um, uh, of course, what was uh, at issue there was the supplemental agreement, which has been found to be legal by the Federal Court of Canada. Of course, we've had the Wells case and the Abbott case, and um, the supplemental agreement itself got a thumbs up from the federal court. But Friends of Halibu was trying to uh, prove to the court that it didn't uh, get the approval necessary from FNI. And um, based on what you're, you heard at the uh, case, uh, do you think Halibu, Friends of Halibu made headway in, uh, in making that point? Absolutely, Glenn. That, uh, I think there's been a lot of headway made in this case. Uh, we heard some uh, very compelling testimony and, uh, and evidence entered uh, into uh, evidence as well. Um, this was about uh, corporate law, whether the uh, FNI follow their own bylaws and we come to find out that uh, there's been some wrong uh, been done there so um, it looks good and um, for uh, the the uh, friends of Alibu's lawyer um, they were they were very on par and um, I think this was um, money well spent so we'll hear from uh, Justice Valerie Marshall whenever she uh uh, renders her decision and um, uh, in the coming uh, weeks or perhaps uh, months. Now, the other case uh, 
going on is the class action case originally spearheaded by the late Jerry Breka, now known as the Collins case after the representative plaintiff. And we reached out to David Rosenfeld, who's a lawyer on that case for an update. And he said, there are no court dates at the moment. And he would expect a pre-trial, the next step before a trial is scheduled to be requested soon. He also said, the Attorney General of Canada and FNI continue to refuse to mediate, and the court has decided not to require a dispute resolution conference. So uh, it seems, Greg, that the uh, the FNI and Canada are playing hardball with these uh, Mi'kmaq people trying to get their uh, their status. So uh, I guess, like in the Friends of Halibut case, um, you and so many others, um, you know spend a lot of time with auctions, various other fundraising to pay for a lawyer to face off against uh, uh, the lawyer for our very own band and the FNI. So um, it's a bit of a strange, um, a bit of a strange situation. So that's what we noticed in court as well, that the FNI in Canada were pretty, uh, pretty tight, pretty close and uh, collaborating back and forth. And uh, they would uh, speak to each other frequently so it's unfortunate that the uh, that we uh, Mi'kmaq people have to fight our own ban. Well, the chief has been quoted saying that it would not fight us in court. And here we find ourselves today. Just a uh, uh, last point on the uh, enrollment issue. Um, just uh, before uh, the holidays there, we had a vote uh, on the deal to tape back in armed forces uh, members like yourself and RCMP personnel who uh, lost status because they were working away from their communities. Uh, and of course, many say that the, the supplemental agreement should have been voted on uh, in a similar way as that, as that deal. But leaving that aside, um, we're now uh, into February. So uh, what have you heard about uh, the status of that process to take back in armed forces and RCMP personnel? So I just received a word from a source of Halibut Council that uh, letters are being sent out uh, uh, from January 31st. And uh, 18,000 letters, I believe, are will be sent out to uh, previously rejected Halibut members. Uh, so it will be um, to encompass, uh, solicit for, for uh, veterans and RCMP to come forward and identify themselves. Um, so... It was very surprising to me that at the speed of this uh, is taking place. So once you receive that letter, I'm, I take it that we have, will have 45 days to respond. Right. And we may get some uh, some update at the next meeting of Halibut Council, which starts at 9.30 a.m., Newfoundland time, of course, on February the 11th. February the 11th, 9.30 a.m., Halibut members can attend in person at the community room in Cornerbrook or watch the live stream available through your GNU login. And that's it for the program. For the latest Mi'kmaq news and views, look for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Allison Baker is the producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Hillary McGinnis is our researcher. For Greg Janes, this is Glenn Wheeler saying, Namultus. I'm Samuel Kamau.